Father, for your Son. Lord, we come together this time to celebrate communion. We do this to recognize your Son and what he did for us and also what he's continuing to do in our lives. We ask that you bless this time. We thank you in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, you could turn them to First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty six. Um, lately, I've been in the Word a lot more than I have been for a long time. I think sometimes, like Nebuchadnezzar, I think I had that kind of time in my life where he kind of came to himself. And I think I kind of had something like that just with stuff in life where it's like you kind of you, you come out of yourself and you realize, wow, this is what I need, and you realize who you are and who you're supposed to be. Not that I'm walking in it perfect, but you know, got to recognize that you've blown it and go on. Anyways, so I've been I've been in the Word of God again, but I've been reading in a different way instead of just because it's easy with the English language to sit there for God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son, blah blah blah. And I hated school. I particularly hated English class. I didn't see the point. I don't know why I need to know what a prejudicate vowel, and I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even construct a sentence now. I don't think. But when I've been reading, I know enough because actually it's, it's helped me at this point in my life to study the Word of God. Is that when I've been reading the Word, I'm breaking down sentences instead of just whoom, got my reading done. And I've been looking for the noun, the verb, and the adjective, and all those things, to, and then taking that one sentence and trying to study it and study those words to really see what God's trying to say there. Because if we've been Christians long enough, we've been around the world enough, we've been in life enough, we can come up with definitions for stuff that may not necessarily be what the Word of God is defining that word to mean in my life. So what I really want to begin to do in my life and in my family's life is really practice the Word in a real way, in a way where I have understanding as much as possible of what it is God's trying to get across to me so that I'm able to actually practically practice that in my life. So as I was preparing... Um, was reading in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I've been thinking a lot about speech. And the one word in that sentence, I'm reading the New King Germ, New King Germ, New King James Version, it has proclaim. And the King James Version, I think it says shoe. S-H-E-W, not the shoe you wear on your foot. But I started thinking about that. Well, most of the time when I think of proclaiming something, I think of speech. I think I'm talking. But even in this time, it's not really a proclamation of speech, but it's an action. And I started thinking about that along with, well, what am I, trying, what am I here to proclaim this morning? Well, I'm here to proclaim the death of Christ and what that actually means. So if you've got your Bibles, um, turn to Romans 3.23. I think, I don't, I don't know if I think, I hate saying that because it's like saying uh all the time or duh or um in a sentence, but there's some necessity to the Lord's death that we need in our life. And, I, and a lot of times, the longer I, the, as I've been walking with the Lord, it's easy just to take that for granted and not really understand what it is He did for us. And therefore, if I don't have a full understanding, a full working in my life, how can I then be able to express that or share that with someone else if I don't have that operate in my own life? So one of them is... In Romans 3.23, it says, um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
well, I know that if I'm a sinner, then I know I have that positions me in a certain place to have my mindset, my life, that I know that I'm, I'm a sinner. And so this morning, as we're proclaiming his death, I'm proclaiming that I'm a sinner and that I need him to cleanse me and to wash me, and it's only through what he has done can I even be here or do or have any purpose in my life. Uh, if you go over to Romans 6.23... <clears throat> It talks about here, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, that's a, that's a big one there. Because if I think if I actually read that and had that in my life, I don't think I would sin as much as I do. Or at least maybe when those temptations come, I might keep myself from it. Because I've got to know that as I sin, well, what's that, what wage am I getting paid? I'm getting paid something as I sin. And that's death. But God gave us the gift of eternal life. I would much rather have that gift of eternal life than having the, the, you know, what sin is going to give me, which, which is death. But it's, it, then again, it's the necessity of the death of Christ to remember this morning that he gave us that gift. Uh, and the last one, well, actually, no, I'm sorry. There's two more. Uh, Hebrews 9.22. I'll have a seat. Um, and then it talks about here, and this, you know, this comes right into the whole idea of communion. It says, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. You know, so this morning, as we're partaking of the, the juice and the bread, the juice is that blood. It represents the blood. In that covenant, in any covenant, no matter if you have covenant with anyone, with when a man and wife get married, there's blood being shed in that marriage, in that covenant. When God said, when He did this thing for us, when He died on the cross and He made covenant with us, He gave His blood for us. And you know, and you think about blood. Well, it's life and it's sacrifice and it's all those things. You know, the example that He gave for us that that we should do. Um, and then the last one is 1 Peter uh, 1.18. I don't mean to move so quick, but I don't want to be up here till 11 o'clock. <laughs> uh, and plus, I'm not a good teacher. I can kind of go for about two, 30 seconds, and that's about all I got in my head. All right, let's see. First um, Peter 1.18-19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless contact received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, if I don't recognize in my life in those that when I'm a sinful creature, but through Jesus Christ, He is my all in all. He's my redemption. He's my purpose. He's my salvation. He's all those things. And to come back to that word proclaim, you know, I was thinking about other examples in the Bible where people proclaim something, but they didn't say anything. Not at first. You know, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Said, Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, when you hear the trumpet and the singing and song going on, you bow down. They stood. You know, and, and, and another one is, comes to mind is even Jesus himself. When here he did nothing wrong, he stood before Pilate and accepted what he was doing. But he was mindful that there was something else beyond 
what was going on right now. And I think a lot of times for myself, that's where I fail to see, like with Christ, for the joy that was set before me endured the cross. See, I've got to see for the joy that was set before me, I can endure with Lydia to get through her F's on her papers, or I can get through that bumper 8 o'clock at night, or I can get whatever situation I'm in, if I know that Christ is with me, I can overcome anything. But knowing that, you know, we've got a, we've got a, a purpose. And the very last one is First Peter 2, 9, uh, 2.9. I think we're right there, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Um, I've been sharing with my kids in the mornings and in the chapel a little bit about the idea of being in the kingdom of God. Because I've been studying the Lord's Prayer. It talks about his kingdom come, his will be done. Well, in any kingdom, like in America, we have a set of rules and regulations that we're governed by. And it's the same thing with Christ, or with the kingdom of God. There's a set of rules and principles that God operates within. And if we want to see his kingdom established here, well, then I ought to live like that. You know, like I live like an American. I come and go. We eat differently than the Europeans do. We eat, you know, all that stuff. So... I, my life should be one that's setting up and establishing his kingdom here and his purposes here. And my life should be like that. And it, the scripture came to mind, too, about proclaiming. Um, and, for, and Second Peter 2 starts at night. says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, his marvelous light. And ten who were once not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. We're ambassadors for Christ. And we proclaim the Lord's death and His resurrection, a lot of times not about how we speak, but about how we act. And I've just been noticing that if I, when I'm walking these streets and I'm at work, am I walking as a citizen of God's kingdom? Am I conducting myself as an ambassador would? Ambassador goes to Libya or whatever, since that's the top... You know, he goes, well, we're bombing him, so we can't really say that one. But, you know, let's say our ambassador goes to Libya, and he's, going, he's, he's not going there to say what he wants to say. He's going there to say what the president and the Congress have for him to say. He's only a mouthpiece. It's the same thing for us. As people that have accepted Christ and we're proclaiming his death and his resurrection, then our lives and our speech ought to be like ambassadors. I'm here to speak the things of God. I'm here to establish his kingdom. And by doing that, we're proclaiming the kingdom of God, and we're proclaiming his resurrection and his glory. Servers can come forward. Excuse me. It's a time of celebration. We don't have to be so quiet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood and for your body that you broke on the cross, that you willingly came from heaven where you had no sin, you were perfect, but yet you chose to be broken for us. Father, we thank you. A lot of times we don't recognize that gift that you've given us. Lord, I pray this morning as we take partake of communion that your Holy Spirit would come and search us and would convict us of those areas in our lives where we rejected you, we pushed you away, we won't let you in. But Lord, I ask that our hearts will be softened to allow your spirit to come in and your word to come in. That those areas might be changed, that we might be vessels to live for your glory and for your kingdom. We worship you for what you've done. We honor you. In Jesus' name.
Lord, your word says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it also says that none seek after you. But yet you still came and died for us. Even when we've rejected you, we've pushed you away, you will still receive us if we return to you and repent. Father, I thank you for your son whose body was broken that we might have eternal life, that he wronged all the sins of the world when he went on the cross and bore our sins. Thank you for your body. And Lord, you said yourself when you were on this planet that you would not partake of the vine until the kingdom of God came again. So Lord, we do this to proclaim your covenant. And I wouldn't, I guess it'd be selfish to say that I long for the day that that comes, but yet we still patiently wait. We thank you for your blood and for your redemption. Amen. You can partake. Now we're going to rededicate all the children again because we need a continual washing. Amen. Bless the Lord. Amen. Father, just as we played for Elizabeth, we also pray for these children that you knew from before the foundations of the earth. You created them special. And you've placed them here by your wisdom. It's not an accident or a mistake. You placed them in this family, in this church, and in this time. Lord, bless them as they go forth to their Sunday school. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let them receive wisdom and power to fulfill your purpose and will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Good morning. As we're settling down, sometimes your my mind generally wanders. Sometimes it wanders in not a bad way. Most of the time if it wanders, it usually wanders in a bad way. Usually that you know if a sheep wanders, he's usually going to be coyote bait. <coughs> but recently I found out well not recently but I just said that because it kind of fits in. That I am a direct descendant of Noah. Now, see, on the face value of that, you think, well, wow, that's pretty. But does anybody else know any direct descendants of Noah? Well, you are. See, you are a direct descendant of Noah. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as it, as it comes to pass. But I was thinking about that because, you know, we've we seen that song in, in Farsi. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering what people that come in and say, well, why do you think do we have some kind of Iranian tie? Then they might look at me and think something else, you know. And, uh, no, we don't have, we do have a, an Iranian connection simply because some of the people that come to church here are from Iran. But it's not like, oh, well, we support Iran. It's like that. It's just like we sing in English. It's not because we support necessarily all the policies that the government passes. But as I was thinking about that, then that brought me back to 
Mount Ararat and our heritage, and I thought, wow, what a claim to fame. I don't have to go on, what's that uh, search engine that you do and you find out your ancestries? Ancestries.com. It's, I am a direct descendant of Noah. I hope you can boast in that as well. Amen. All right. Now that you know your lineage, you should be all very proud of that. And I was talking with, actually I was talking to Martha. She heard me talking about something and she said, you know what? You act a lot like I do about Texas. Because I'm always talking about, you know, the Armenia and this, that, and the other thing. And she said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm like that about Texas. Because, you know, pe- people like to brag about Texas. I don't know why. <laughs> but they, they, they like to do that. Sorry, Martha. <clears throat> Probably the only good thing that came out of Texas was Martha. There we go. And uh, so anyway. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, you know what? I believe God loves Texas people as well. But no, I do honestly do. I don't have no. I, I, I. That's not a joke. That's that's sincere. I mean, it's anyway. But as she was trying to like you know, get one up on me, you know, like boy, Texas is. I said, you know, you're absolutely true that Texas is a wonderful place, but I have it on good authority that out of all the infinite places that God wanted to land Noah and preserve life. It wasn't at the Alamo. No, it wasn't there. God looked down and said, I'm going to put that ark on Mount Ararat. And we all know where Mount Ararat is. It's, anyway, wasn't in Texas or New Mexico. But that's why we can claim we are descendants of Noah. My dad always used to teach me that really we were all Armenians because that's where Mount Ararat is, if you didn't know. So <laughs> Anyway, now let's actually open our Bibles and talk about something that may be worth something. Open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to continue, hopefully, on this idea of instruction and hearing God speak to us. <clears throat> I was listening to the news the other day, and I think uh, Billy Graham's son was on. What's his name? Franklin Graham. Pretty outspoken. I don't know much about him other than, you know, he's a son of Billy Graham. And for what he does, pretty outspoken, pretty right on. And he was basically just talking about salvation. Somehow something came up, and uh, he was on actually a conservative news station. But it doesn't really matter where you are. God's ways are foreign to us. And left to ourselves, like I said, the mind generally wanders. And when it wanders, it usually does not wander after the things of God. It usually goes astray. And he was talking about salvation can only be in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way. And then comes up all these nice ideas. Do you ever have nice ideas that seem to be actually, what if you would write the Bible? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what would your philosophy be? Well, those things all have to be put aside because the Bible says he only does wondrous things. He's holy and true. There is no other judgment than God's judgment that is correct. But so this man was saying, well, you mean then all these nice people, they will go to hell? And if you don't, I know there's a lot of good people. And it sounds so right. But if God is God, all other judgments are incorrect or wrong. No matter how right they may sound, and I have to continually bring myself back 
to say, well, no, this is what God's judgment is. Yeah, but I think and I know and I understand that. But this is what God says. And the Word of God then only has effect in our life up to the place that we practice it. Okay? We let that work in our life. Doesn't mean that you will not be tempted. Doesn't mean that you will not have those foreign ideas. But there would be a place, nope, I, this is what I must do. And again, as we begin to practice it, those ideas may still onslaught us, like the Bible says, to take on the helmet of salvation to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. So sometimes we actually get, we actually get worn down or we get discouraged because after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, maybe you were born you know, in, a, in a Christian family, that you still get attacked. Well, the attack is not over yet because the battle is not over. And, it's, and so it seemed right in God that that battle should continue. It works something in us. And then arming ourselves with that mindset, putting on the whole armor of God to where, okay, there comes a fiery dart. A dart. But the Bible says this. So I must... And a lot of the times the, the enemy comes to actually destroy God's character in your eyes. See, in the beginning, just as he came to Eve, he said, well, God's hiding something from you. See, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like him, kind of besmirching. He doesn't want you to be this way. He doesn't want you to be this way. And sometimes maybe in your life, the enemy comes and goes, well, if God really loved me, then this and this and this. Well, if God really was just, I wouldn't be. Well, wait a minute. I understand all those thoughts, and they would seem reasonable. But I must, this, like Job said, God is a just God. He's a holy God. He knows what he's doing. I must trust him even though it appears that it is destroying my life. And even in partaking of communion today, Jesus had that same mindset to where it seemed like it would going to destroy him. He said, this is the will of my Father. So there's always going to be that battle. That's why when I'm talking about instruction, it doesn't always come easy, nor is it something you always agree with. See, sometimes we've been taught, well, if I agree with it, then I'll do it. Well, that's a nice thought. It's not a very noble thought, nor is it a, 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 a thought of faith. It's a thought that says, well, I should be able to figure things out, and if I can't figure it out, it's, it's wrong. But the Bible says, no, that's not true. God has figured all things out and says, this is what it is. And I have to come and say, okay, God, that's what it is. And we sing those songs, you know, Yes, above my life. And we, it sounds so wonderful until God says, Abraham, offer your son. Now, I read, some, I read a little thing on that, where God never really says, kill your son. But see, Abraham, in his mind, what does he think? Well, he thinks he has to kill his son. He's ready to do that. So what Abraham really was, was battling was, not, was his idea about God being unjust in his own mind. But he was able to hold that, the, 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 not the concept, but God in his mind, that even though he would have to battle this idea, he would still trust God. Now, these are the things that you're going to come up against. Well, I don't see that, man, that seems unfair, and they're telling me. That is only in your mind. It is not the reality of who God is. And you're really having to sacrifice those thoughts to get you to the purity of of the knowledge of God. Did you follow what I said there? So Abraham actually had to think that he was going to kill his own son, worked all that through, and that's the same thing that God is working in, so that God cannot be besmirched in our mind. His character cannot be torn down. You cannot... Now see, the enemy 
has a name. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before God day and night. He comes up and says, man, and, and he's accusing God to you. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let them you. That's not, that's the devil's work. See, now, and the temptation is always going to be something that seems to have a core of response in us. See, it's not a temptation if you're not tempted by it. See, but it seems like, man, wow, that, that just doesn't sit. Okay, see, when Jesus, after fasting 40 days, the Bible says he was hungry. Well, that's when the devil comes and says, make some bread out of this. Now, again, it's not enough for it to be written in the Word. See, the Bible says it, we need to study to show ourselves approved a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing. Now, that's where instruction, correction, and counsel comes in. I know many people, thousands of Christians all over, they all, this is that book. But to rightly divide it, see, to rightly say, oh, well, this is what it's saying. See, the devil came to Jesus and used what? Well, Scripture said, if you be the Son of God, and that's many times, man, if you really were a Christian, man, if Jesus really loved you, if you really had the power, if you could, well, that's what it says. But I now have to rightly divide that. And the devil would come and say, turn, if you be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And he quoted Scripture. He had the power to do that. But Jesus, understanding that, did not fit into the will of God, said no. And he was able to rightly divide that and walk in the present truth. See, there are truths. The Bible talks about in Peter that we walk in the present truth. We are here in this world right now, just as we prayed for Elizabeth and we pray for the children. Has anybody wished they like grew up in another time or in another family or in another church or lots of, man, if I only lived a hundred years ago. Now, I used to say that when I was younger. Now it's got to be like 200 years. But no, God has made no mistake. He said that's when Victor Bedoyan is coming and this is what now, just because God does it doesn't mean that we automatically accept it. It's like, man, see, a lot of vain imaginations. And, and Pat read that scripture. See, we were saved from our vain conversations. All this empty talk of, man, you know this, and I wish I was only like... That's all empty talk. See, and all this wonderful philosophy. Now, again, we talked about that in two views of the world. There's the Greek view and the Hebrew view. The Greek view, even back then in Paul's time, they would sit around and just philosophize. And Paul said, you're just, you've gotten stupid from all this philosophy. You don't even know reality. This is happening and that's happening. We need to be aware of vain philosophies, vain thoughts that are just not based in this book nor based in God's will, but we just kind of like, oh man, I wish I was, and man, you know, and pretty soon we wish we were living a hundred years ago, and then pretty soon you wish you had a prettier wife, and pretty soon you wish you made more money, and pretty soon you're gone. Where did that start? Well, it started right here with that little seed. Nope, that's not true. That's not a right thing. Now, that's where instruction will keep us, but again, it's something that the Bible talks about we need to put on. The Bible says, put on the mind of Christ. Put on his righteousness. Put off the old man. Now, many times, I think, because the enemy knows our frame, that we're, we're pretty well lazy. We don't like to, to work, and especially more and more in this age. And 
as far as pressing into God, it is a supernatural thing to do that. Man does not naturally seek after God. Something that he's now, as the Holy Spirit has come into the church, come into our lives, it's now him motivating us to do that. And we then, with him, we need to be co-workers with him to seek him. But it's not a natural thing. Naturally, we're, we're gone. And more and more, as the end times are upon us, in which, now again, we are living in those times. And I think we're going to see horrendous times that where even the very mention of a godly idea or the practice of a godly idea will bring down great persecution upon you. Our children and our grandchildren and the generation of them need to be well prepared that this is not going to be easy times. Oh, it's going to be pretty highly technical, advanced stuff that's going to be easy in one sense. But that easy is going to bring in a whole other mindset and a spirit that is going to persecute the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. Now, we need to be people that are looking into this book and saying, okay, these are the things that I must practice. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 6. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. It's a good thing to have the Word of God hid in your heart. It is not a good thing for it just to stay there. The Bible talks about in the New Testament, evil communication or evil lifestyle corrupts good manners. You can have a lot of things in your heart, but if there's not some way of practicing those things. How many people ever learned, let's say, something in junior high? You went to science class, you learned chemistry. Did anybody ever do that? You learned something in chemistry? How about algebra or trigonometry or anything like that? And now it's been 10, 20 years and you haven't used it. How many people remember it? Well, very few people remember that. They say, man, yeah, I, I once knew that. If you don't use it, you lose it. Okay? Now that's that is any that is a godly principle. See, there are principles in the universe that they just are. We need to be wise, and that's what instruction does. We need to be wise to say, okay, I need to practice those things. The more you practice them, the more you will believe them. The more you believe them, the more you practice them, and you pretty much get stronger and stronger. Just like exercise. Just like exercise. You know, if you wanted to lift, say, 300 pounds, you're probably not going to start out with 300 pounds. You might start out with 25. And maybe you'll be discouraged saying, oh, man, uh, 25, that's nothing like 300. But every day you're lifting 25, and pretty soon you're 30, and then you got 300 pounds or whatever it is, or you're running or whatever it is. It's usually a process. Now, this is the same thing with godliness. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved. It's something we need to work at. But again... I think because of the, the failings of the human being, we tend to make, we live for the special moments. We live for the inspiration. Now, those things come and go, and they're meant to encourage, but we don't want to live for those. And we don't want to wait till we get those moments before we do something. See, if we live just for the inspiration or the good feeling, we're no longer really living for God. We're living for those moments. And I know people that want after those, if those moments are over there, they start longing for those moments. I remember when God was doing this. I remember when God was doing that. And pretty soon, they've actually left God and are wanting these things instead of Himself. We live for the special moments. This is not 
Jesus had some special moments. But that's not what he was living for. Now, uh, I'm going to have to read this. So, Okay, which... These are the words which I command you this day. Keep them in your heart. So now hear the words. Put them in your heart and say, I believe that. Now, along with believing, there needs to be something else that goes on that makes that happen. Usually there's like, in principles, there's three things. The Bible says there's a threefold cord. It's not easily broken. Just like if you can, you can plant a seed in the ground. But if it doesn't get water, doesn't get cared for, it usually will die. And Jesus said, the sower goes out to sow, and here goes the seed. Some of the seed died immediately because there was not other things followed up to cultivate that seed. So yes, we could have it in our heart, but the devil wants to take that out of your heart through discouragement, through other things. So there needs to be the believe in your heart. The Bible talks about that in Romans. If a man believes in his heart, and then what? Confesses with his mouth. See? Now, I, was, I had this unusual my perspective anyway, this unusual man come to my, he was selling some stuff, and I could see from a long way away that he was funny, you know, had a long beard and kind of some stuff, but boy, saying some good stuff to me, and I don't know all what he was saying, but basically he, we, we were talking about the end times and things like that, and uh, talking about the need to be thankful, and he said if when we're thankful and praising God, God draws near to us. But when we're murmuring and complaining, we draw the devil near to us. See, so what I believe in my heart, I need to confess with my mouth. See, and then I start doing it. Now, nowhere in that principle do I understand anything about if I want to, or if I feel like it, or if I'm inspired. No, this is what you do. Now, again, those there are things that we are to do. The Bible... You don't hear this word too much anymore. We have a responsibility or a duty. See, this is, this is your work. Now, oh, that's my work. This is what I do. So whether I feel like it or not, I practice that. And in the practicing of it, I reap great rewards. Now, so I want to look at this idea of commandment because many times we feel if we're not being yelled at or told what to do, we, have, we, we haven't been told. I believe God looks at that kind of, an, and, and for lack of a better word, please, is as, as stupid. That's not what God wants to do. I don't believe God wants to be to yelling at you and to force you to do things. I believe He wants us to walk with Him and have a relationship with that we know Him. Now, that He puts on us to do. Now, now I'm going to read this scripture and then give you a few examples because many times I think we still... We stay fairly worldly or simple in the knowledge of God. And therefore, God is doing all this wonderful stuff, and we're like, I didn't know that. He holds you responsible for being dumb. Okay? He just does No. Well, now, so, what I would recommend then is get smarter. Okay? Don't be so dumb. And the Bible even says that, for lack of knowledge, my people perish. But a lot of times we think, oh, well, I was just innocent and I didn't know. No, you're, you are held accountable for that. Yes. Now, see again, but we think, well, that's not fair. Liar. God said it's fair. I need to change my mentality. Right. See, oh, I didn't know. That's wrong, Victor. Now, you stop that and you do this. Okay, I got that. But I don't. I, right there, I need to say, well, I need to change my view on that. Now, <clears throat> it's Proverbs chapter 1. 
Wisdom cries without. How many people have heard wisdom this morning? Did anybody listen for wisdom this week? Well, well, I don't know. I didn't hear. It's crying everywhere. It's crying. It's been basically. It's shouting. It's shouting. I didn't hear it. There's something wrong with you then. See, God has set up the entire universe for the preaching of the gospel. He has set up the entire universe to show forth His glory and His majesty. His, the Bible says all things are given for our sake. Now, the Bible now is saying, open your eyes and start looking in this way. See, the Bible says we were once blind, we couldn't see, so we didn't know God. But now that our eyes are open, we should no longer walk like other heathen. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't see that. Boy, I didn't. God is saying, now get into my book, get into my direction, and you will be able to have your eyes open, and I'll be able to speak to you. Okay. Wisdom cries without. She's uttering her voice in the streets. Anybody been in the street this week? Well, yeah. What did you hear? Oh, wait a minute. God was speaking. Now, the only place God is going to speak to you in church is, that's a good thing, but I'd be here seven days a week then. Because you're not going to get it. One one little bit is not going to do it. But he's setting up saying, oh, she cries in the chief places, in the concourse, in the openings, in the gates, in the city, she utters her words. Hear this thing, wisdom now is speaking to us. And now he's going to make a thing. How long will you simple ones love simplicity? How long will you not hear? How long will you just kind of like stay dull? Well, I didn't know that. Boy, I didn't get it. You know what really bothers me? And this is, this is just personal. This is just personal. Because I, I watch this. Do you know that people nowadays don't know how to cross a street? I actually watch people. This is in Wickenburg. I grew up in New York. What, four cars are passing? They're petrified. Why are they petrified? Because they've no longer had to learn how to cross the street. We have actually taught our children to actually get hit by cars. Unless the bus stops and opens this thing and makes you stop your car. Now, I was under the impression that if a car was coming, you don't step out in front of it. That would be you get hit by a car. But now we, we cater to stupidity. Now, I'm not saying hit car, hit people and don't do things like that. I'm just making an example. We cater to simplicity. Well, my kid got hit by a car. Well, you don't, you know, he was... I almost got hit by a car one time, probably several times in my life. But the reason was because I had beaten somebody up and he was chasing me to get me. And I had to make it home before he beat my brains in. So I ran right in front of a car and... But that's the abnormal. I knew not to do that. There's, when you cater to simplicity and stupidness, do you know what you get? Stupider people. Stupider people. I'm just on a, I'm just on a roll here. I'm pushing my political agenda. Is it easier for a pedestrian to stop or a car? Well, Yes. But who do we make stop? Then if we follow that same logic, when you come to a train crossing, the train should stop. Because it might hit the car. I always wonder why they don't do that. Now, I, now don't, now, because we live in this, stop for the pedestrian. Pray for him. 
but I'd really like them to learn how to get across the street on their own. I mean, if you can't do that, I really don't have much hope for your, you know, college education. <laughs> That's kind of a basic thing. So God is crying out in the street, saying, how long will you simple ones love simplicity? See, how long will we stay naive? How long will we refuse to hear what God is saying? You scorners delight in scorning, and you fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you, and I will make known my words to you. Because I have called unto you, and you refuse, I have stretched out my hand, and you, no man regards regarded it, but you have set it naught all my counsel and would have none of my reproofs, then the, basically calamity will come. But he's basically saying, I'm doing all this, you're refusing it. Now, in the New Testament, there's the sheep and the goats. And, and the Lord brings them aside and says, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you gave me food. And what was their response? When did this happen? When you were in prison, you didn't come. When did this happen? They some of them didn't, they weren't aware of what was going on, but some still did the right thing. But they said, when did this happen? Now, because they didn't know and didn't do, they were sent into outer darkness, the Bible says. Now, again, if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit and learning His ways, we are going to miss God speaking to us. And what will come upon us then is things that He desires not for us, but have to come to pass. So you have, again, I want us to get the idea that in... I was never told to do that. Many things you will not be told to do because they are things that, remember, the disciple is if. If. You know, a man that wants to, he studies the Master and says, oh, that's okay. And he's making... Okay, that's the way I do. His ear is attentive to hearing wisdom. His ear is bent to do that. And this is the love relationship that God wants to have for us. I mean, there's times that judgment will come, and I guess you can yell and stuff like that. But I don't believe that God, God's desire is to draw us, and we should follow, not yell at us and make us do it. And I think when, we, when we're in that mentality of looking to justify, well, no one told me, we're going to miss God's voice and working in us. The, the parable of the... the, 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 the the three men that were given talents. They were each given a talent. The master gives them no further instruction on that. But the third man who does nothing with his talent has some wonderful reasons of why he did nothing. Well, I knew who you were. I knew you were a tough guy. I knew you were doing this. and I knew I was scared. I didn't do anything. But he was never told to do anything with it. The others were never told to do anything with it. And the, the two that did, he said, that's good, and you're going to get a reward. The third one that said, you're an austere man. You're a man that reaps where he doesn't sow. I didn't do anything with it. He says, you sh because you didn't do anything. There was no warning, but he said, I knew the Master. If you knew me, you should have known me. You should have known what to do. The parable of the ten virgins. Five had oil, extra oil. Five did not. Nowhere do I see that they were told to do that. But the five knew him. They knew his ways and they prepared and lived their life according to him. The others were not prepared and what happened? They get locked out. Now see, I have a hard time with that because I'm, I'm going to open the door for them. I'm going to say, oh, it was a mistake. Ananias and Sapphira, they conspired in themselves to come up with this plan. 
It wasn't like one of the 11 commandments, don't do that. He said, you shouldn't. You should, boy, you should have known better than to lie against the Holy Spirit. There is things now God is saying, I don't want you to be simple. I don't want you to be dopey. I want you to be aware that I am moving, and I want, I'm sending lessons and speech to you. I start hearing these things. And many other places in the Scripture, you'll find these things coming, but nowhere is there like, man, do this, do this, do this. For even uh, early on, before the law was given, Aaron's sons, they just decided they were just going to worship the way they wanted to worship. There was no law. It wasn't forbidden to do it. God said, you're not going to do that. Boom. You should have known. So open your eyes and start saying, okay, God, I want to start hearing your voice because God is speaking. Now, back to Deuteronomy. I'm going to command you this day, you shall be in your heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto your children. Now we're getting back to the concept of the father. Remember, we always, when we talk about oh, hear the commandment of your father, we mostly think of the children. But the commandment to teach is given to the fathers. Okay? Now, I have not always done this very well at all. Because generally, I'm lazy. Generally, I may have some other ideas. But I'm saying, okay, God, this is correct. This is what must need to be done. And thou shalt teach them diligently. What's diligently mean? That means diligently. You don't know. Once a month, no, no, I do this diligently. He's going to go on to say, teach them unto your children. And shall, you shall talk with them when you sit down. Okay, now many times we're sitting down. What are we talking about? Well, we should be talking about, well, I need to... And then, we, then we, get, we kind of get intimidated. Well, I don't know what to say. I, you know, I wish that would govern more of our life. Yeah. You know, I hear most of us talking about things when you don't know what to say. All kinds of stupid stuff comes out. Well, now I don't know what to say. Well, you know what? Let me talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me talk about what I received in communion today. Let me say that, you know, man, this is what Jesus is doing in my life. Well, I don't want to appear to be too spiritual. Would you rather appeal to be too carnal? Let's try to be over-spiritual. See, if you're too spiritual and proud, you know what? God has a great remedy for that. It's himself. God says, I will resist the proud. So, oh, I don't want to be proud. Don't worry, you're going to run up right against God and he'll straighten you out. But if you're dumb, I don't know what. He says, man, you're going to get not much hope for you. Okay, he says, smarten up, let me deal with your pride. Okay, when you sit, when, when you're, you shall talk of them... Of what? Of the commandments of the God, the instruction of God, when you sit in your house. So where should we be talking about these? Right in our house. Okay? And when you walk in the way, when you're walking with one another. We should be talking about the things of God and what God's been speaking to us. And when you lie down and when you rise up, pretty much what should be it? All of our areas of our life should be talking and following the instruction that God has given us. Okay? And when... And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and upon thy gate. You don't forget them when you go out of your house. You come in and you're going out. The first thing you need to be mindful is, man, I'm a servant of God. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm here to raise my children. I'm a man under instruction. Let me, tell, let me talk about Jesus. Because I know if I don't start talking about Jesus and God's instruction, something else is going to fill my mouth. Oh, did you see that latest movie? And he's just such a wonderful actor can't even cross the street, the dodo head. Anyway, imagine paying people millions of dollars to chase a ball. I don't understand that. And then you want to wear shoes that they wear. Anyway, be aware, because these things, oh, well, that's, those things consume you. 
Who is your hero? Oh, did you see the way he threw that basketball? It's a basketball. Can he do it a hundred times out of a hundred? No. Well, then I'm not interested. Okay. Beware where you put your, 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 your confidence and your values. When you lie down, when you rise up, now you shall bind them. Now, I want to look at this word. The Bible says, you shall bind them. It means that I have to make... This, isn't, this doesn't happen naturally. Since we are sinners and we have fallen into sin, the act of serving God doesn't come naturally anymore. It actually is something that I have to sacrifice, which we talked about last week. So I, in order for me to actually do what God is saying, I've got to make an effort, a conscious effort, and almost... How many people have ever felt hypocritical about serving God? Any good hypocrites here in church? That's where they belong! Of course we feel hypocritical because my flesh is saying, make the stones into bread. Go ahead, eat. Just you do it. Just, you know. But your spirit's saying, no, that's not the right thing. And so you feel like a hypocrite to yourself. And sometimes you'll just beat yourself. Man, I'm just no good. I'm just a hypocrite. I never get to do whatever I want. Hallelujah, God says, that a boy. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a person like my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives in you, that says, not my will. He doesn't get to do what he wanted. He got to do what the Father wanted. And to him, he thought that was the ultimate thing in life. Paul says the same thing, not I who live, but Christ lives in me. So, yes, that's what talks about losing your reputation. You might look like a hypocrite to yourself. What did Paul think about all the years of sacrifice that he made of being a Jew, the generations of not eating pork, all wiped out in one little thing. And what does he get for it? He gets rebuked by the very churches he started. He gets stoned and beaten up and kicked out and put in prison and nobody's there, says, this is what I'm looking for. God is well pleased. We need to look at what God values because Jesus Christ was a failure from every perspective except from one, God's. And that was enough for him. See, the, the, the praise of man or the, brings a snare. And, we need to be, and we're, all, we're all subject to that, something we need to fight against. So what do I need to do? Bible tells me very clearly. Um, where was that? Verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon your hand. So how do you work? Well, this is the way I work. Okay, I bind them there. See, so, and you ever see some of the, the Jews, they have them bound right here. They got the little, uh, the law there. It was to remind them of who they are. Like Pat read this morning. We are a strange or peculiar people. You're, we are supposed to stand out in this world as people who do things differently. They're bound on my hand. They're bound on my mind. They're bound in my doorways. They're bound on the doors I go out. They're in my home. That's why God... Now, I don't, I don't, I don't think necessarily we need to actually have those, you know, look like Hasidic Jews. But in this world, Jews stand out. You can see a Hasidic Jew... God's... And the first thing you think about is God. I don't care what you want to make it. It brings back to memory. Well, we as God's people need to have those things bound on us. It binds me on how to work. It's bound. It says bind the sacrifice to the altar. There's things We should be feeling the pressure, if you will, the yoke of walking with Jesus. See, sometimes we don't realize, oh, we, get, we take this concept of freedom in the democratic 
sphere. Freedom means, oh, I'm just free. I can do whatever I want. That's not the freedom that the Bible is talking about. Jesus did not use His freedom for an occasion to the flesh. He rather used it to serve us and to serve His Father. The freedom that we have is we've been set free from the sin that once bound us. Like the sign says out there. I don't know who came up with it. It's a good sign. One of the children. Did you come up with that? Yeah, it's good. We are set free from, the, from sin. We have been... Well, how does that actually say it? The power of sin? Yeah, this, the power of sin that is over us has been broken. For what reason? That we become the servants of righteousness. We were once servants of sin, but now we're not just free. We have been set free to be the servants of righteousness. I have taken on a new master. And I should feel that yoke on me that I no longer do the things that I want to do. There's no longer that I'm driven around by my own initiatives. I'm driven around by the master's initiative. There's a mark on me. And I continually feel, like you said to Joshua, when you go to the right or the left, there'll be a voice that says, don't do that. Turn left. Oh man, I always feel this weight. That's the hand of God. It's the sinner that doesn't want to feel anything. It's sin that... See, the conviction of God, you can feel that. Sin just dulls you down. See, oh, when I was a sinner, I had such a better life because I was so seared, I could no longer hear God speak to me. I was so seared and so set in my ways, I couldn't even, I didn't even know I was a sinner. I didn't know I was selfish. But then when I come to God, Paul says, and then the law appeared unto me, I immediately died. I went, oh my, that's me? Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has lifted the power of sin that had over me, that no longer do I have to walk under that burden of sin that I didn't even know. But now I do walk with that another burden. It's called the burden of serving God. It's called the burden of carrying the yoke. And it's something every morning i got to put on. Every day when I sit down, i got to remember. Every day when I go to work, I have to bind it on my hand. Every day when I go out, i got to bind it on my forehead, lest I forget. So this idea of, oh, you're bringing me into bondage. No, you're being set free. You just didn't know what freedom was. See, Eve thought she was being set free because there was one thing that she couldn't do. But if I get to do that one thing, I'll be like God. You're not supposed to be like God. Did you understand that? I mean, that's one of my biggest problems. Wouldn't it matter if you just could do everything? We're not supposed to be like God. That thought in itself, no matter how innocent it may appear, is the beginning of sin in our life. We're not supposed to be like God. And Eve had that, yeah, I just, all I do is want to eat the fruit. I don't see anything wrong with that. And then she was free, but that freedom was not freedom. It brought her into bondage and upon all of us. Okay, but we have, a, we have something better that we are now the servants of righteousness. Now, a servant obeys his master. And I, I, I like this. In, in the year of Jubilee, after 50 years, a servant had, was given an opportunity to be set free or to stay with the master. Not knowing. That master might have gotten senile in his old age, might have changed in his old age. 
but he had to take a risk. And it was a whole ceremony. He was marked for life. He had an awl placed through his ear and was a, had an earring. From that point on, no longer was able to be free again. He was property of the master. Wow. See, that raises all kinds of stuff in us. But that's what we're, we're, we're here to do that. Kind of like marriage is the same thing. Covenant in the church is the same thing. I want to make a commitment. And once making that commitment, whatever happens, then I'm going to take that and, and let that work in my life. Okay. You shall bind them for a sign. Now again, it's a sign. See, we are supposed to be a witness. Our life is supposed to be, like I said, a peculiar people showing forth something. These things are not righteousness in themselves. It's a sign of our righteousness. Just like Abraham was not justified by works. He believed God and was accounted unto for righteousness. And after he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, he was given a sign of circumcision for his righteousness. There was a sign of that. That doesn't make you righteous. But you know what? If he didn't do that, righteousness would have ended with him and not continued. So there's a sign of righteousness. Put the, the all in your ear. That needs to work in us. And it shall be, in verse 10, when the Lord thy God shall have brought you in, into the land that he swore unto your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities which you have, did not build, and houses full of all good things which thou filled not, and wells you, that you didn't dig, and vines and olive trees that you didn't plant, then thou shalt have eaten and be full. Verse 12. Then, beware. Beware. Lest you forget the Lord which brought you out forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. When would you forget the Lord? When you're blessed out of your socks. Say, oh, well, I would never do that. This is, this is God speaking. He says, Beware. When, I, when you receive all the blessing that I want you to have, Adam and Eve, beware lest you forget the Lord. And I always think that's odd. How would you go about forgetting God? Well, you just take these passages and put them in reverse. You unbind the law off your hands. You stop looking at that. You stop talking about it. And pretty soon, the thing that was once so real becomes very distant. And you look at the children of Israel. They didn't one day just wake up, oh, wow, we got olives and trees and everything's going great, let's forget God. Pretty soon, they stopped keeping the Sabbath. They stopped doing the sacrifices. They stopped keeping the traditions. And pretty soon, God was forgotten or put aside. Where did it start? In not keeping the instructions. When we lived in Vaughan, there was Every day, if, if there was not bad news, we were thankful and extremely blessed. Someone was either being put in jail or hit, or somehow there was raids, all my things were being stolen. And the people there, for the most part, we continued to meet and go to church and sacrifice for one another. And I warned them over and over, when you come to the West, when you come to America or Canada, wherever you go, be careful because it's not going to be so hard. 
What are you kidding? They, they longed for the day that they could work. They longed for the day they could just be free. They longed for the day we could just worship openly. We longed for the day to where we, the government wasn't on our back continually. And almost all of them have fallen away. Because why? Not because of persecution. Because of what God just said. It's so easy to do your own thing and forget God. Because you're going to look like a weirdo, number one, to yourself, and then to others. And the pressure is beware. Because when you're, you know... And most of us here have got it so... I don't... How many people here have a bad situation? Does anybody have a bad situation? I'm, I'm not saying that sarcastically. Some of us look like, man, some of my situation is bad. We don't have it bad. We don't, the Bible says, having food and clothing therewith be content. When was the last time you were content? Oh, I'm not talking about being lazy. There's a contentment and pressing in. But beware lest we forget God. And how do we start forgetting Him? You know, we're just going to plow this field this week. That's not what you were told to do. It's okay. Well, you know what? Boy, I don't want to go to temple this, this week. It's a little late. And you know, we're a little bit lean this year. I don't want to give a sacrifice. And pretty soon, God becomes your enemy. And I was thinking about this the other day. When I, when I was not a Christian, when I was unaware of God, I had no problem with God. I mean, I really did. I just didn't know it. But now that I've been reborn and God has chosen me, you know what my biggest battle is? And you know who it's with? With God. My eyes have been opened and my conscience has been opened. And saying, man, I, and this battle that goes on within my flesh and spirit, again, coming back to what I was sharing, there's an accusation against God. And saying, man, I need to put that down and let God work in me. Oh, it's late. But it's not my fault. All right. Well, we're going to have to... We're going to have to... I, I really want to move on to another subject, but I can't because I believe this is so important. Okay, so it's we first off in review, many of the things that God is going to require of you or have you walk in as not things that He's yelling at you about. It might not even mean things that are openly being taught, but He puts that on you. He says, Smarten up. Don't be so simple. I am talking to you. Do you want to hear it? See now why was Abraham able to hear things and Lot didn't hear things? Why, why was Barnabas, a, Barnabas able to do the right side? And, uh, what was the two that I meant? Elias and Ananias and Fire did the wrong thing. They were not studying. Study. And they miss God completely. God's admonition and warning to us is pay attention, lose your life, and start practicing those things which I am instructing you to do. Now, we're going to, next week, we'll look, unless something else comes up, that we're going to start, again, go back to that instruction saying, oh, instruction is something I actually, like, have to, I bind that on my hand. See, we're not, we're not just flitterly led about by the Spirit or inspiration. No, then never does God say that. Children of Israel, if you just feel good, then go ahead and sacrifice. If you just want to, he says, no, this is what you must do. Because if not, you will forget me. And pretty soon, you, it's easy to go back to the world and go back to selfishness and come up with other ideas. But we've been redeemed from our vain conversation. Our conversation needs to be about what he's saying. 
Now, we'll look at instruction and how, again, instruction must be done. See, it doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't just, oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so man, my kids will be Christian. No, it doesn't work like that. It must be something that I bind and actually, okay, I'm going to do this. Act of the will. Amen? Do you under, a little bit of under? Okay. Hopefully, if you'd like to, come back next Sunday and we'll move ahead about another three steps. Amen. Lord Jesus. So now we have Mother's Day pictures after church. Uh, a little bit of snacks in at 2 o'clock, so don't eat a lot of lunch. There's going to be a barbecue at Pat's house. Amen. Lord Jesus, dismiss us with your blessing. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.